Hello and welcome to the NDL show, finally bringing you episode 13 with yet another potent conversation. Do stay tuned. You're always calling me for fake apologies. I'm not surprised. You serve the truth. I have a spice with lies, boy. But still I comply. You set the mood and I want your time. Coming back to you, this certainly sounds familiar. The song sung beautifully. Delivery impeccable. Hotel Trivago. <laughs> this one is part of an 11-track album by this amazing artist, Doshi, and this one features Anga Diego. It is called Sweet. And if you have not done the right thing by now, then head over to the socials and follow at Do You Wanna Eat on Insta and Twitter. And of course, at Anger underscore Limba on Twitter and at Anger dot Limba on Insta. Otherwise, stream the music. This album is called Do You. So, the show has been on pause for a bit, but like the lockdown stages, we're going to ease back into civilization with the NDL show. We hope you've been doing well during this time. And if you're studying and it's tense, do make time to take time and take care of yourself. Ain't nobody gonna do it but you, right? There are many things that are happening in the world right now and truly it would be weird if we did not address it here on the show because these are things that affect us as the youth, as women, as black people. With that being said, this episode is going to be a little different from our usual shows and I want you to sit back and listen to this as we try to figure out what's actually happening to us and our country. 
We're having a panel discussion today to address racism, gender-based violence, and the topical issue here is the fact that there are so many people who are victims of harassment and rape. And with that in mind, how do you, as an individual and part of the Twitter community, avoid becoming a rape apologist when someone close to you is accused of rape? All of this is coming up with very interesting guests in the main segment. For now, we're going to take a short intermission before we get into it and know that we want to hear your uncensored thoughts. Do hit us up on Twitter and Insta at The NDL Show. Let us know what you think about these issues and how we should respond to them. Hi everybody, this is Holly and you're tuned into The NDL Show. If you have been struggling with your skin, then the Getsi brand is for you. It is a locally handcrafted scrub designed to smoothen your skin. They have combos that suit your budget, so don't be shy. Head over to Instagram and follow at Getsi for skin to order now. Do it right. If you're gonna mind me, tell me you're going to mind me. Don't just talk to me and answer every split second and then you just blue take me. Do it right. Yo, what's up? This is Kai, you know, listening to the NDL show. These poor black people are nothing but voting for it to them. If the ANC was serious about poverty, they would have implemented a structure or some type of structure to, 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 to lure business to the Eastern Cape. So poor people in the Eastern Cape can upgrade in the Eastern Cape because we've got now a situation where you've got bad shelter in the Eastern Cape. Coming down to Cape Town, you've got no shelter in Cape Town, and now you've got a protest. I mean, something's wrong. You right. said it's the, the poor black people coming over. Yes. So the poor black people who are a problem for you. Well, I wouldn't say that they're a problem for us. They are strain on the infrastructure. Our trains aren't riding because they weren't designed to cope with this amount of people. We've got people sitting at day hospitals from 6 o'clock in the morning, leaving at 4 without tablets because the queues are too long. This is a problem. It impacts negatively upon, not just upon us, on everybody. Helen Zilla said exactly the same thing. She said the refugees, the migrants from the Eastern Cape must stay away. So are you using her role book for your platform? I really, here? I very, very, really agree with Helen Zilla. But on this day, I will. It is hurting our economy. It is hurting our children. I mean, look, we sit with a situation. Where, again, you walk into a shop, right? 18 tolls. 18 black people in Mitchell's Plain. I was at a protest at the Department of Labor, eight client services advisors, eight black people. They are saying to our kids that you're not fit to work here. Last time I read the Freedom Charter, it said that South Africa belongs to all that live in it, except if you live in the Western Cape and you happen to be brown. That is an interview that was on ENCA, and this is why we're here. Thank you so much for staying with us. Joining us for our panel discussion on the NDL show today are people who have certainly managed to pique my interest in their own shows. To speak on what has been happening around us, we have the host of the Ghetto Snob podcast, Spura. Thank you so much for joining us. We also have the hosts of the Cancel Me podcast, Lungelo, Henzo and MK. Thank you. My dear friend, Anele, welcome to the NDL show. So without further ado, racism. This period has exposed many things that are wrong with white people and perhaps people who are not black and their perception of people from other races. And to kick this conversation off, I just want to know what your uncensored thoughts are on how systemic racism continues to show itself in various instances around the world. 
When it comes to um, obviously systemic racism, I find that it's deeply rooted, not just in how obviously um, white families are set up because it comes from older generations that is sort of projected on towards the younger ones. And you often find, because when I think about it myself from personal experiences, when you're growing up, like in terms of primary school, these things don't seem to necessarily exist. But then it's when you see, like, obviously people you've gone to school with into the high school platform, you sort of see each other separate. But then you realize as you go through high school, they are subtle forms of racism that you can get from quote unquote, like your old primary school white friends that you get. And then there are also subtle cases when you're with them and they'll say like, oh, okay, you can come to our house. And then when you get there, he's like, oh, my parents said we aren't allowed in the house. Like we mm. just need to chill outside. You get like those instances. So in terms of family, that's how I see it. I saw on the timeline the other day, someone was like, how are all your white friends? reacting to this BLM um, Shandis. And my response to that was, I don't know, I kind of lost all my white friends sometime around high school, you know? So just on the angle of like familial wise, I think we dr I drifted away a lot from my white friends because of differences in the way that like we see the world. Cause the fact that we're sitting here and we're having this conversation and the language that we're having it in for me is an indication of just how deeply rooted the ra racism can be as a system, you know? Mm -hmm. And when you actively speak against that, or even when you just notice and you're aware of that, and some of the other ways which the system makes itself known to you, you tend to like ostracize yourself and like cut yourself away from a lot of white people. So, so yeah, I'm just, yeah. I'd also like to add with regards to um, trying to enter the job market because I know in my field, in my professional field of work, there's usually this thing of, so I'm a candidate's attorney. And when I was looking for articles, I'd get a lot of posts stating that they're looking for someone with a vehicle and you're going to earn like 5K or they're looking for someone who speaks Afrikaans. So automatically, mm -hmm. a certain demographic of people are excluded from the people who can enter the profession. So I'm Black, you know, I am from the township or I am from wherever in KZN. I don't have a car. I will not be able to sustain myself on 5K because I come to Joburg, I look for a place to stay. Places mm -hmm. to stay in Joburg are like a good, you know, 3K up. So if I earn 5K, it means that I'm spending more than half of my money for a place to stay. I won't meet my monthly obligations in terms of food and in terms of transport. So already there's a psychological psychologically you're defeated and to defeat anyone you need to start psychologically so already saying that you require someone with a particular financial background or whatever is already defeating someone psychologically so there's also that those are also some of the ways in which we as black people are oppressed in terms of like trying to get into the system and trying to build our own wealth so, yeah. I definitely agree. I definitely agree with you because it seems that this world has no place for the black body. I mean, we're constantly trying to justify why we're here and trying to justify that, hey, we're also human. You know, it's, it's, it's our reality, unfortunately.
So a video surfaced um, similar to one that has played earlier on in the episode, you know, a few days after protests and emphasis on the Black Lives Matter movement. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's these three colored ladies where they were venting about how excluded they felt and how they matter too. So, you know, in my mind, it's like, if you're not white, then somehow you automatically fall under the black category. Although we do not fight the same battles as coloreds, as Indians, as Asians, as black people, respectively. So I wanted to get your perspective on this all lives matter chat. No, all lives don't matter. No, no, all lives don't matter because if we're going to say all lives matter, right? And I'm going to make the analogy of a burning house. If there are three houses on a block and we say all houses matter and I have water to, for some or other reason, I'm just watering my house and your house is on fire. It mm. means that I shouldn't put out the fire with my water because all houses matter. Why is it that your house is getting water whereas I could be having water for myself? And until we get to a point where black lives matter, all other lives don't matter. I don't care if you are white. You don't matter. You know what I mean? Because you have a privilege. You have yeah. a privilege that whether you acknowledge it or not, you have a privilege. Men have privilege, whether they want to acknowledge it or not. Because going back to what's going on in the world with these gender-based violence killings, so someone explained it as... Um, as these killings are growing, it re-emphasizes or reinstalls a fear in women that mm. allows for men to feel a particular way to stay. Okay, so women, the women are behaving. And whether, whether you like it or not, as a man, you are benefiting from our fear as women. When a man walks behind me, I, I fear my child. I fear whether he's going to kill me or not. I'm still scared of him because he's a man and because of what men are doing. So, going back to your question, no, all lives don't matter. White lives don't matter. Colored lives don't matter. Indian lives don't matter. Indian lives and colored lives don't matter in South Africa because they only view themselves as black for purposes of BEE. They don't matter. I don't care. Sorry, I, you, you know, this is, this is very deep for me. On that front, I feel like I can agree with you to a certain extent because... In the same way that we as black people, we're fighting racism against white people and the white system which has been set up, we tend to assume, you know, as we say, that all people who aren't white are automatically black. But at the same time, I face some pretty heavy racism from Indian people as well, you know? So it yep. puts me in a position where I look at it and it's like, who's on my side? <laughs> Actually, actually, when we're fighting, like, what are we fighting for and how do we all work towards that end, you know? So, yeah, I, I definitely agree with you on that front. Yeah, I don't know if all lives matter or not. That's, that's questionable from my friend, yeah. Yeah, let me come in there. I also feel like this all lives matter thing needs to go. <laughs> like, yeah. first of all, I don't understand. How can you say all lives matter when we all never started on an equal footing or equal um, playing field? Because my thing is, the whole thing is, all these other lives are already at a pedestal. And as black people, we're playing catch up. Like we're playing catch up for everything. The fact is, in South Africa, black, because I know it's predominantly black, but if we had an advantage, there wouldn't be a need for PEE in the first place. Like that's the thing. All these things that they give us is just to suppress us for a time being to like, oh, okay, here, we'll give you PEE. Now you can be quiet for like a couple of years 
And then now I'm even seeing there's probably going to be something, I wouldn't be surprised if they introduce something else now just to keep us quiet for a bit, whether it be around racism or whether it be a, uh, around gender-based violence. Because what I noticed with even these movements, every time something happens, like we, we reach a peak of how much we're willing to take and then that's when we explode. And when that happens, they'll give us something, like, you know, like 10% of something. And they'll be like, okay, now like slow down. And then you see the movement die out for a while. Because Black Lives Matter or gender-based violence, this has been happening for a couple years. So mm, they've yeah. just sort of been feeding us little chips here and there, but not really addressing the problems or getting down to what's helping or giving us advantages just help us progress even further. Um, my my problem is with South Africa specifically. I can only speak of this context because this is where I grew up and these are the politics that I know. But my issue with South Africa is how we um, went into democracy. We don't go into democracy with revolution. Then you know what was done in Germany where um, the Jewish people were compensated for the crimes that happened um, during the Nazi rule. And I feel that what we where we went wrong as South Africa was a forgive and forget approach because it's not working. It's tearing at the seams. And in as much as we say apartheid is over, it's over on paper. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. over because people had a change of heart. It was over because it was unsustainable and we were getting excluded from everything. So the initial problem was that ANC and them, and I'm sorry to get political, but that was the party that led democracy. Yeah. The ANC chose forgive and forget approach. And a lot of black people are not happy with that because we'll forgive and forget once we are at a place where we are all equal. And BEE wasn't doing that because it chose a few black people to do that. So, but because we live in this white world and because all our information more or less is handled by white, by white hands and by white languages, we always feel this need to contextualize ourselves around this idea of whiteness is what I've sort of found. If we say Black Lives Matter, you know, but we still have instances of tribalism and we still have instances of elitism and we still have instances even of GBV of one black man or one black human hurting another black human, a black woman, how then can you say Black Lives Matter when they don't really matter to us at this point, you know? Until the black person learns to center themselves and to really focus on what is the black body and what is the black mind doing and how is it moving, I don't think a lot of problems or a lot of issues that we have or that we face can sort of be addressed fully. But that's just sort of my view. I just wanted to say, the point I wanted to raise earlier is that not all lives matter until black lives matter. Because what I feel like what's happening is white people are failing to understand the bigger picture here, which is us trying to fight, which is us trying to fight for equality, us trying to fight for, you know, us trying to fight fights against the systematic oppression that has been put where has been laid for like for hundreds of years now. And mm. I feel like white people are now confusing that with, you know, it's not just black lives matter, like all of our lives matter. Like, you know, so taking it back to like police brutality in America as well, um, where they all talk about, um, you know, the police are just doing their job. Like if they, 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 they're just trying to protect themselves, but it's like, you guys are not, you guys are missing the point. Well, they're trying to protest for their, their lives. And the way they're mm. seeing it is, and the way they're seeing it is, um, no, they're just doing their job. Just, yeah, just the, this is the way I see it. 
Oh, well, I, I don't understand the whole all lives matter thing because I feel like they just, for me, it feels like they're not, like, like you say, they're not trying to see the bigger picture because even with that whole thing um, of, you know, we can't necessarily say all lives matter because, you know, they don't. It's like nobody even said that your lives don't matter because we all know that, you know, you have um, privilege, you know, we know. So that's why we don't include you. We're trying to, we're trying to um, bring ourselves up and fight for ourselves mm. and say black lives matter. Yeah. And also the thing of um, the Indians really got to me because, I, you know, I'm in KZN like all the time. So yeah. I'm, I'm with like a lot of Indians and it's very true. Like a lot of them can be very racist. So where do you want to fall under? And it's with the whole colored thing. It just, it really amazes me how they choose when they want to be black, you know? Yeah. They choose when, you know what? Okay, no, today I feel like, okay, I'm going to fall under this. I'm going to fall under the black. I'm going to fall under the, um, the whites. Because they can. They basically can in a way. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that shouldn't happen. You should decide where do you want to fall under? Am I for black or not not for black? It's actually just that simple to me. I don't mm. I don't understand it. I don't get it. Yeah. Now when we bring it to the much needed conversation around gender-based violence, you see this one is quite tough because it's it's so hard to comprehend. My question here is what do you think it is that contributes towards the violent nature that causes men to rape and murder black women as seen in so many South African men? This one is tricky because men kill you if you leave. Men kill you if you speak up. If you don't speak up, men are still going to kill you. So it's not a conversation that we as women should be having because we are not the ones that are facing ourselves in line to be killed. Men are the one who should be having the conversation. And what annoys me is that even in them having the conversation, all they say is, we need to do better, gents. That's it. And they go back together with their friends and they talk about how this girl is a hoe and that girl is a hoe. And like, you're not contributing to any change. There's no real change that's being made. I research on rape and this one, this one was a hard pill for me to swallow. But when I did my research on rape, I found that ultimately rape is a crime of power. That's it. It's just an instance where a man or a group of men want to exert their power over someone else who'd be unable to fight back or whatever the case is. So it's just a game of power. For men, we are, our bodies are just tools over which they can exert their power. I can show you that I can end you like now. You know what I mean? It's a power thing. Whatever it may be, ugusa, and wanting to exert your power, but overall, ugusa. And there are instances where psychologically the person is damaged. Like mm. Luanda Bot, who murdered Uinene. You look at his track record and you're just like, this person is not okay upstairs. There mm. are those instances. But in any, yeah. in any other case, usile, like ugusa, ugusa gomuntu. That's sure. it. I think the first thing we need to accept is that no one person can speak on behalf of every man. Like even me as a man, I can tell you that like from my perspective, I see rape as a combination of things. Like firstly, it's a matter of not understanding consent in some situations where the man genuinely thinks consent was given, even though it wasn't. And then in other instances, it's just pure sadism. The man wanted to hurt you. That's how he gets off. That's the only way he knows how to bust a nut by like hurting you physically. Like, 
and in, in, in that spectrum, in that range, there exists so many things that like we haven't even begun addressing that I just feel overwhelmed when I sit and I look at it and I think about it. So when it comes to GBV and where it comes from, that's how I feel, man. It's just such a wide, big issue. Yeah. But I feel like we should just be speaking on it a whole lot more and just be speaking on if this person raped, why did he do it or how did he do it or what thoughts or what feelings led to him deciding that this was the best way for him to get what he wanted to get before we start speaking on this is why all men because we have this thing of grouping all men into one group you know and saying these are men you know and that's okay i understand why you do it i'm not trying to pull the not all men are rapist card that's not what i'm trying to do please don't but not here do that mm-hmm. never <laughs> never but when we do that when we group like every single man into the category of men then the reasons why and the reactions and the appropriate reactions to what do you do when something like this happens, it becomes very, very murky to deal with. So yeah, that's just sort of like my standpoint, as fuzzy as it is. I feel like one thing that isn't strongly embedded in men growing up as well, because I, me and the guys had a conversation the other day about LO as a subject, life orientation. And I was, I was seriously considering, like, we need to educate people more in more things that are actually viable to the world. Like, you can't just be educating people on... Because when I think about Elo, I'm like, what did I really learn from it? Because my thing is, when you have these real conversations, as MK said, when you have them more and more and more, it influences people to also stand up and call people out more. Because when I think about myself, when... I try to think about when did I learn about being like sensitive as a guy towards other people, towards, I only learn it because even in a household where your parents are constantly working and you come home at night, you have dinner, the only thing they ask you is how's school, how's this, like you don't have actual constructed conversations. So you learn that as you experience life and you go on. And when I think about when did I honestly learn about sensitivity and like considering others empathy and that, it only comes around like 17, 18 years old. And that's a problem. I mean, that's too late. Yeah. Need to be, yeah, it's way too late. So I, I feel like the education needs to embed more things, start asking questions at a younger age. And then also, we always say you need to do better, but I feel like we need to get more active and actually show people that like yeah there are genes that you can come to that is a comfortable environment and we also need to be willing to listen to younger people because what i've noticed is also in households the younger people try come out to i guess the elderly and they tell them you don't know what you're saying your uncle would never do that like they silence them in a sense so in me saying that um when you don't have prop like even households aren't built on proper constructive conversations it's because the elderly don't dismiss everything that the younger people say. Like they just dismiss them, push them to the side. So I feel like in terms of education and systems, everything is failing us. Like everything is failing us. And the world that we live in now has been built. Obviously it's a man's world and more specifically the white man's world, but it also benefits black men we need to be finding ways before even the rapes happen. Like we need to get to a solution that can handle that before it even happens. Cause all these gender-based violence incidents, it's us reacting to something that's already happened. 
and someone's already damaged. Would you not also say that it is your job as guys when you're gathered to get together to teach each other um, the issues about the issues of gender-based violence? Because you know, you know, you know the one who's most likely to hit his girl or any other girl in his squad. So would it not be taking it outside of the formal education sector? Would it also not be your job as men to speak to each other? Because women are not perpetrating the crime on each other. We're not killing ourselves. We're not killing each other. Yeah. You guys are. Yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's, definitely part, it's definitely part of our job to also have these conversations. And for me, what I've found personally is because when I, when I find someone, like say you just say you, you, a friend brings you to another friend group and you meet this person who's giving off these like wild, wild vibes and you're like, okay, wow. For me, what I've found out is that I, I tend to just cut them off and dismiss them. But I feel, but now I'm understanding as I grow, that's not, that's not how it should be handled. Like you need to start calling people out and you need to have conversations with them. Because in the past, I'll just leave those people and I just don't con- contact them or whatever. Like even now, I can't think of someone in my immediate friend group who gives off like these rapey vibes. It's just, that's just me. But then it's it's at the point where you shouldn't ignore them or dismiss them. Like you need to tell them like, even in those occasions where people see it as casual. I think a big part of the problem when it comes to GBV and rape is that we don't understand, like personally, I don't understand what happens. You know, like I don't understand what, like I know what rape is on a conceptual level, on a theoretical level. You know, it's when a man takes advantage of a woman sexually without consent. But the way that translates to a physical, everyday and personal lived level, and the way that translates to like how men speak on that and how men communicate that to each other, I don't understand. Like, It's very subtle. It's like when you undress a woman with your eyes, you're trying to talk to her and she's not trying to talk to you. That's uncomfortable. When you follow me in the parking lot, follow, broad daylight, yeah. don't follow me in the parking lot. You make me uncomfortable. My, I'm already alert. When you are at a club and you're trying to talk to a girl and you can see that she's getting drunk and you're trying to make, it's it's just, it's very subtle. See, the problem that I see with that is that when you come to these guide groups and like you have conversations, some of these examples and some of these situations which you put out as uncomfortable, those are the situations which some guys might lord as the ideal sort of situation to hit on a woman. You know, those are the situations where like, yeah, and then you attack. You know, and attacking is a very, very aggressive sort of word, but that's generally like the, la- the lingo that we use around it. So I think that's the problem sort of like with asking guy groups to solve this problem. It's because in the first place, we put ourselves in this mess by listening and by letting men who have no right to speak and have no compassion to speak on these topics, we let them speak on it and we let them run on it. Because when you're a teenager and you see a guy and he's bagging like a different girl every week and he's like that guy and he's like your hero and that's sort of like what you're looking up to, you tend to follow his advice, like not to the teen necessarily, but a lot more than you should, you know? Mm -hmm. And if you have that attitude as a teenager and as you grow, it's constantly reaffirmed by other guys who have learned the same thing from guys who are just like that guy. Um, I just wanted to ask, does it come from the perspective of, or the concept of entitlement. Because, you know, especially during this time, uh, women are speaking up, uh, speaking up on this issue, speaking on their rights. And um, at the same time, I feel like 
that the complication starts when men blatantly fail to understand consent. What Lungelo is saying right now. So men, in essence, are white people because white people came on lands and they started dominating without anyone's consent. Men are white people. And I'm sorry, it sucks, but like men are white people. Sorry, Lungelo, you were saying? And I feel like our generation of men need to be like educated on what entitlement means that they're not something to to conquer or achieve because i because i remember you speaking about the idea of power and how men are, are raised to you know whatever they do in life they need to succeed they need to conquer they need, they need to assert dominance so i feel like with that men need to be taught that this doesn't include women as well you know for me i i really can't ignore that mother that aunt, that sister, that cousin who is willing to go the extra mile to protect the son, the brother, the uncle, the grandfather. And for me, it's just, it's just crazy. But now we're trying to get to this conversation because we have become very unforgiving towards people who continue to fraternize with people who violate others. We have witnessed what happened to the YouTube couple where the one was called out for rape and then the partner decided to reach out to the victim and what got to me, as did for most people, was a statement in which she said, in most instances I would believe the victim, but I believe him. Your everything from that moment went dark. Because although she might have been trying to mediate the situation, she transformed into a rape apologist. So we're at a point where there are many victims of abuse, which subsequently means that there are many perpetrators. Now, should you find out that your brother, your partner, your close uncle, your friend, one of the boys is accused of rape, what would you say is the best way to react while not being excommunicated as a rape apologist? Because it's easy to sit on the side and say, you know what, just cancel. But when you're in the shoes, truly, how do you react to someone who you've created a relationship with. Women are like the biggest apologists for like abusive men because why do you protect him? Because he didn't do that to your daughter, so he didn't do it. Exactly. It's crazy. Well, for me, I feel like, you know, especially with because you said the whole Twitter, like on Twitter thing, the first thing, I feel like the first thing people expect from you is like to completely cut them off on social media. And I mean, I understand where she was coming from. I mean, that was someone that she was dating for years and she probably at that time didn't see the bigger picture. The fact being that she was being a rape apologist. She, she was just trying to, she was seeing it as this is someone I'm with. So I have to kind of like be with them and support them and everything. Uh, instead of understanding that um, this person could actually be right. Like, actually like he could be in the wrong you know besides doing the things that social media might expect you to do like cutting them off on socials I don't know how I would do it in person like how I would cut the person off because I'm so used to having them around in my life all the time you know the problem with cancel culture for me is that it doesn't have redemption culture because and I'm not saying with rape there should be some sort of redemption but there's also and I'm going to try to be as objective as possible right we 
there are certain things that we didn't know before social media or just didn't know in general. And maybe a man didn't know that catcalling a woman or undressing her with his eyes was wrong. But now you know that. And now the problem is that this woman has already been victimized and she already views you a particular way. Is there redemption for someone like that? You know what I mean? Rapists, I'm not even going to touch on that. But like where cancel culture is concerned, it also does make room for redemption culture. With your question, I don't know. Like Anela said, I don't know how I'd react if it was my cousin or if it was my brother. Do I stop talking to them completely? But in the same breath, they violated a woman. You know what I mean? And like when someone described what rape was to me, is that you, com- you die, you completely die. So do I forgive you for killing someone else while they're alive? I don't know. How do you not become a rape apologist? I don't know. <laughs> but also don't go out of your way to say, I know it's fine, you know, it was a mistake, what, whereas someone else has been violated. I don't know. I think uh, what rape culture, what environment likes more than anything is just understanding and an idea of how to navigate it. So how do you react when someone like your friend, your cousin, your brother is accused of rape? You know, this might be a bit controversial, but my first reaction isn't necessarily to cut them off. First, I need to understand what's happening. You know, first I need to know, what did you do? Like, I know what the woman says you did, you know, and I know what the woman felt like you did to her. And I accept that. It's true. That's what you did to her. But when you were doing what you were doing to her, is that what you saw? When you were doing what you were doing, what was your intention and what was your belief? And then once I have that, then it can start sort of like reacting. Like, okay, so this woman sees this man as a vile rapist because that is what he did to her but he sees himself as a suave charmer because from his perspective, she was playing hard to get and he just got her, you know? So I need to look at that. I need to understand, like, is there first and foremost, is there an opportunity here for us to learn something? Because as much as a rape is fucked up, I agree with you when it comes to like our redemption culture where when something bad happens or when someone does something out of a place of ignorance, out of a place of not knowing, or just out of a place of having a different understanding or different worldview, when somebody does something like that, I feel it's important for them, not even as a person, but as an agent of that action, I feel it's important for them to share with people why and what happened so that it doesn't necessarily need to happen again, you know, so that like someone else can learn from it and someone else can be prevented from the same thing happening. Until I've learned what I feel like I need to learn, I don't know if I can say or do anything else in reactions to a rapist. And if I do, I don't know how effective it would be. So, yeah. Um, when I think about, like, you say, um, rape apologist, let's take the saying, black people are strong, always be strong. That makes us accept a lot and make us feel like because we're accepting stuff, we're being strong. Mm. Now, when we separate, when we separate um, from black man to black woman, I also feel like more, more so than a black man, a black woman is expected to be stronger more. Like yeah. that's just the, that's the projection you get in a household. Like she will always be strong. She will always hold it down. And as you were talking about, obviously like um, an aunt protecting her son, what I've figured out is also like, because obviously as women, there are things that us as males will never understand about how you guys feel. 
a lot of people feel the need to, I guess, hold it down in the household and keep whoever has done whatever safe and be silent. But in my case, how I see it is the, long, the longer I, like for me personally, if it happened in my household, the longer I hold onto it, the more problems and harm it's gonna cause. Because you, people eventually see, like you, you, the family automa automatically starts treating this person different. They start, either you see some people distance themselves and all these things like you can, you can obviously see. So I don't, I don't necessarily know how to go about handling that situation because I've never been in it. So to double back really quickly to what Nondo said on being like a rape apologist, I'd like to paint like a quick scenario, you know? Say you have a family and in your family, you discover that the uncle, for example, is a rapist, you know? So in this situation, what you would need to do is cut them off, like naturally, like that's the move, right? Not not just canceling them, but cut them off. You can't you can't be supporting them. You can't be fraternizing them. You can't be doing anything with them, right? Now you have this man who has no support system, who has no one to talk to, who has no like even if he has a moment of of consciousness, even if the spirit of God descends on him for a second and says, "Think about what you're doing." If he has no one to turn to and no one to say, "I don't know whether what I'm doing is right and wrong," because everyone around him has cut him off. That puts him in a situation where it's a lot easier to do what he sees as wrong than it is to do what he sees as right, you know? Mm -hmm. And what this is leading to is I don't think we should be, I don't think we should be cutting people off, man. I think the instinctual reaction whenever somebody does anything wrong is to look for ways to punish them and they get what they need to get and whatever. And that's cool. I don't want people denying women's experiences. I don't want people like calling women out for lying when they're calling out rapists. That, that, that's not right. But at the same time, cutting people off and, and, and refusing to interact with them, I don't think that solves the problem. Because more than punishing the person, what I'd like to do mm. is try to solve the problem. Personally, it's a shared sentiment. I wouldn't know how to react to that. You know, especially if it's somebody really close to you, especially if it's someone you grew up with. So now it's, you know, when you find out that they did what they did, yeah. now it's a matter of how do I move on from you knowing that? This is a side of you I've never known because I've known you as this nice person and now you've done this and now I know you as someone else. Mm. So it's very difficult. I'm not even sure if even canceling someone would be enough. Yeah, and that's the thing. It's not easy. It's not simple. You know what I'm saying? If you find yourself in those shoes, really, what do you do? Because you love this person, you formed a relationship with them. And because you love this person, you're willing to give benefits of doubts. You're willing to give second chances. But really, we need to start asking the questions that matter. Why did you do it? Did you do it? And really just look into it, you know? Because becoming a rape apologist is, is it's actually very devastating because I don't think people actually realize what they're doing and what they're saying. Victim blaming is also a huge problem that we experience. A very tough one, but that was the show for today. Thank you so much to our guests for joining us on the NDL show and having this very intelligible discussion. Twitter, we have to admit, is very different from reality. It's so easy to become a rape apologist in the same light. It is so easy to be judgmental when you're in the periphery. 
It was much needed and please do go ahead and check out the Cancel Me podcast. Follow their page on Twitter at Podcast Cancel as well as tune into the Ghetto Snob podcast and follow the page at the underscore Ghetto Snob. Also follow my dear friend on Twitter at Anele underscore Standiwe. As always, everything that you need to know, who you need to follow will be in the show notes. So we leave you with this track. It is titled A Westview Story by Huey. It is part of his album Chasing Magic. Do make it a point to check it out. Otherwise, you can follow him on Twitter at Huey Magic Man and indulge right there. Remember to let us know what you think on the social. Send us your music, adverts, proposals and shout outs to the NDL show one at gmail.com. We're keen on hearing from you. From my producer Tilani Sijo and I, this is a Westview story. But I'm grown now, more evolved, more focused on following the protocol. Getting money laid low, shitting on a mall. I would like to make a toast that we got this far. Yes, Lord, it's been a long road. We were close once before, now it's changed and we're like foes. But I still got love for you though. From the bottom of my soul, may you live to see your light glow. It's crazy how things change. And I've gotta grow too. I'll be damned if I stay the same. Front like I don't feel pain. At the mention of your name, but it's cool, I'll be good man then with other game playing gone marijuana help release the tension uh, me and all my niggas no pretending yeah searching for a genie in a bottle yeah. that and then a lamborghini engine yeah. you can feel my presence at the entrance uh messing with the nigga is a death wish uh, had to give up everything to get this yeah so i do whatever to protect it yeah Marijuana help release the tension. Uh, me and all my niggas, no pretender. Yeah. Searching for a genie in a bottle. Yeah. That and then a Lamborghini engine. Yeah. You can feel my presence at the entrance. Uh, messing with the nigga is a death wish. Uh, had to give up everything to get this. Yeah. So I do whatever to protect it. Yeah. I lost a lot of friends, but I gained family. And this to the end, I got no plan B. But I cannot pretend that it's all sandy. Cause I've stared down the hell that this game can't be. I will never lose, never forfeit. Find myself a jewel and she's gorgeous. Well, I'm gonna build a house that's enormous. Four years, four cockroach for the Porsches. Awesome, these are all the things I dream. Nothing ever is what it seems. So I focus on seeing all the real through the seams. Who my destiny depends on is me. So I gotta stay chasing Life is short but it also is what you make it You we must stay caking By the boatload password Go where the safe is, baby, yeah I attract joy, I attract peace I attract wealth, like, I attract money, I attract love, I attract the world, I believe in magic, I need that money, money, I need them rags, big rags, big bands, rags, Hublo, Huey, Hublo, my nigga, I'ma need those cars, man. I'ma need that crib, I attract it all, magic,